0: Bootcamp Podcast, where four psychotherapists, three of us from Canada, one of us from the United States, serve cutting-edge mental health knowledge. I am Ryan Howes from California.
1: And I'm Brooke Lewis from Vancouver, Canada. And I'm Joanna Boyd from Vancouver, Canada.
2: I'm Chris Boyd from
0: Vancouver, Canada. Are you guys related somehow? What's the deal?
1: We are.
0: Oh, you are? We are. (laughs) Cousins? What is it?
1: Uh, Brother and sister.
0: Father-daughter? What do we got here? Oh, (laughs) brother-sister. Got it. Okay. Well, glad we cleared that up. Good to see you guys. And
1: good to see you.
0: I gotta tell you, it's been kind of fun because just this week... We released all of our podcasts on YouTube. So, mm-hmm. True all, story. all 10, and now this is our 11th. All 11 of these podcasts will be up on YouTube for the world to view mm-hmm. at the creatively titled Mental Health Bootcamp Podcast YouTube page. Oh, yeah.
2: And I think it should be noted that we didn't know we we're going to start recording or videotaping these podcasts so the first few are a little rough maybe
0: well we just weren't playing to the camera much that's all yeah, yeah. i got a few bad hair days
1: i would have yes, I would.
2: <laughs> yes. appearance so, would have
1: been questionable for sure for me so apologies <laughs> to our viewers
0: that's <laughs> uh, okay i recognize that in most of our podcasts i'm wearing this very blue shirt so i thought i'm just gonna keep wearing the blue shirt why not Oh, Is it funny. your
3: Thursday shirt? Do you just always wear it on Thursdays?
0: I think maybe, maybe I just wear it all the time. I'm kind of like Steve Jobs or uh, you know, Zuckerberg or whatever. Like just always wear the same clothes so you don't have to think about it,
3: right? Why not?
0: Why not? You know, free my brain up for other things besides fashion choices. It's true. <laughs> think
3: know. about all the other things you could do with the closet space. You could have like a craft room or a totally. library or a reading nook. Or
0: meditation space.
3: Meditation space. You could yeah. use it as a pantry for canned goods. Oh boy! Any other ideas? This is just me.
2: Yeah, great place to do some lunges.
3: Oh yes.
0: Maybe some planking.
2: Who knows? Some planking in there.
0: Yeah, that's good. That is good. Yes. Okay. Well, I'll keep that in mind. I'll just have a minimal. Uh, wardrobe and I will uh, keep it simple. And keep my canned goods in there instead. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, anything happening this week? Anything uh, you guys wanna mention?
3: Oh man, Uh, I wanna mention, but not, we're not gonna get into it, but as a Canadian, I did watch the presidential debate. Oh, you did? And you probably don't wanna hear my opinion on it. So we're just like, it's probably not a safe place to discuss. (laughs)
0: Oh, it's uh, it's okay. You know, they say that you know, in polite company you should stay away from politics and religion. But I will say that that's our that's our finest delivery of uh, decorum and uh, <laughs> respectful discourse. That's about as good as we get down here.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Actually, it was really funny because uh, one of my I was watching it for a couple minutes with my kids. I really couldn't watch more than a few minutes. Um, and one of my kids was saying just beforehand he's like oh a debate well there's a debate club at my school right and so after watching this shouting and screaming going on on tv for a couple of minutes he looks at me and says is this what debate club does <laughs> <I can't. laughs> oh no oh no actual debates and debate clubs in junior high school or middle school um are much more respectful and uh you know stick to the rules a lot better than what the highest office of the United States does apparently. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. pretty gross.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then up here we're having um, a provincial election. It was called early. So it's, it's happening a year early. So, um, and it's happened so quickly. It was a shotgun a little bit. I've decided to vote via mail and I received my ballot and I should go show you. It's a literal, you write in. So it's like write in who you want. Okay. So this is tricky because you have to write in your candidate for your riding, right? Like you can't just put who you want as the leader or the provincial party because then those, those ballots get thrown out. So you have to research who it is in your riding and make sure that you put the appropriate name. Otherwise these, these ballots won't count.
0: Okay, there are like fifteen questions I have for you right now. Sure. I don't know if we can spend too much of our time getting into a civic slash les- lesson of of Canadian politics, but how can you hold a an election a year early? How does that happen?
3: Yeah. So they had to. Chris, can you describe it probably better than I can? Because they had to like apply to higher powers to dissolve the government, like on a, I forget what that yeah. term was.
2: Yeah, so we we have a bit of a different system. Our system is based on, obviously, the British system, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, uh, sometimes you have a majority government where one party has the majority of seats in our uh, parliament or legislature. Sometimes you have a minority government, so that's where they have to force to do business with other parties. So right now we have a coalition between two parties, so apparently that coalition broke down. So the way it works is if there's a vote of non-confidence, then mm-hmm. an election has to be called. So if if your government is inept and can't pass any bills, then, um, then a vote of non-confidence can be called, I believe. In this circumstance, it's actually up to the governing party to call an election if they want to. So there's actually flexibility. As Brooke mentioned, you know, we are... Um, Part of the Commonwealth. So we have a lieutenant governor in our province that you have to ask permission to um, Have an election so Wow,
3: and it was passed So we're having like a surprise surprise election So that means for for the parties that aren't currently in power need to really like pull it together because the It's it's this month like our voting day is October 24th
0: Uh Aha Wow, this is wild. I, I really had no idea. I wish we would have studied a little bit more of uh, Canadian government. I- I've got to say, though, if if people were allowed to have a vote of non-confidence here in the States, I think we'd be voting a heck of a lot more <laughs> because people are very skeptical of the government and don't have much confidence in much that they do. So.
3: Regardless of the party, right? Because there's so yeah. much division, so it yeah. would happen often. Yeah. Yes. Anyway.
0: Wow. Okay, well... Enjoy your political process. I hope. Uh, I hope it's peaceful. I hope yeah. there's not a recount. I hope your mail service works.
3: All of us. Say, what happens if like the majority of our population writes in Ryan Reynolds? Like, does mm-hmm. that mean that he then get no? Those ballots get thrown out because yeah. you didn't write down somebody in your writing. Yeah.
2: Or Ryan Howes? Does that mean you have to come up here, live, move up to BC?
0: I will I will definitely listen to offers. I will take that it's under advisement. I will definitely do that. Wow. Well, OK, I think uh, politics aside, I think we have another topic coming up here. And this is a little different from what we've normally done with our ambushes because uh, this actually is a, a listener question. We actually have a mailbag question to share with you guys here today and uh we're very excited about this and uh so Joanna did you, did you want to take it from there or kind of talk about what uh what the mailbag um, question might be
1: yeah one of our listeners um heard one of our previous uh podcasts uh that um discussed a little bit about attachment and there was some interest in hearing more so today's topic is gonna be about attachment so I will be sending some questions your way, Ryan, to kind of guide us through this big topic and see what happens.
0: Okay, attachment. Got it, I look forward to this. Hit me.
1: It's on its way.
0: Okay, got it, it came across the border unscathed, and uh, here it is now. Question number one, why is attachment important when it comes to human development? and why. All right, attachment. So here we're not talking about an attached file to an email, we're not talking about an attachment that you have for some uh, gizmo around your house, we're talking about attachment theory. So who wants to start off by talking about what in the heck attachment theory is, and, uh, and then we'll get into why it's important for human development.
1: Uh, I can tackle a very, very simplified uh, definition of attachment. Um, when you think about attachment, it would be our ability to form emotional bonds with other people. So bonds that are typically enjoyable um, and secure. I don't know if there's any other words that we can go with that right now. Um, and so what attachment theory would be would be that the bonds that we form early in life with a caregiver, typically a mother, but doesn't have to be um, will then play a role in how we um, create or how we form attachments to other people later in life in intimate relationships or things like that. So what happens when we're babies um, with our caregiver, whether it's a secure secure, uh, emotionally positive um, attachment will impact us later in life. I don't know if anyone else wants to add anything to that
0: what what time frame are we looking at here what what age range do you think uh this attachment stuff takes place
3: so my understanding typically like zero to six and zero to two like so within the first two years of life zero to six there's a different uh you you're really bonding or that attachment's happening with the primary caregiver that's right there so if you as a baby, you yourself are not able to take care of your own needs. So you have to rely on someone else to keep you alive. And so for zero, not saying that a two year old can do that, but zero to six is a very uh, sensitive time of life. So your primary caregivers, and then it starts to grow out from that circle to safe other safe adults or people in your life from six to 24 months.
0: Okay. And what if it's not safe?
1: So I guess it's, it's we're saying it's kind of the caregiver's ability to respond to the child's needs in a consistent, in a competent, um, I don't know what you say, consistent, predictable, uh, predictable way. So yeah, whether mm-hmm. it's crying, her, all these different things. Um,
2: yeah, I think, um, you know, these early bonds with att- attachment figures, Yep. kind of builds the, builds a scalp. Oh, you get okay around there. Oh, uh, these, uh, internal, um, t- sorry, these connections with early attachment figures kind of builds the framework for future relationships. Right. Mm-hmm. So if it's secure, then, um, you know, you approach, I think, uh, relationships later on in life in a more calm and, and safe way. If it's not, then it can create a bit of, uh, issues, some distress, right. Cause mm-hmm. now maybe, um, connecting with someone is not a source of calm and tranquility and and it's um, associated with other things, right?
3: Definitely. What might it be associated with, Chris?
2: Well, um, (laughs) let's say if, uh, if, if your attachment figure is uh, inconsistent um, and they don't give you that, um, the love and care that you, that you need at those early ages, um, maybe you develop some defense mechanisms, right? Maybe you you have a hard time processing emotions. Maybe you fend for yourself. Maybe you're guarded when it comes to connecting with friends or significant, significant others later.
1: It's, um, and so I can give a few of the attachments. So there are said to be four types of attachment. So there'd be secure. So for a child, um, because they say, too, it's not about how the child reacts when the, the mom or whoever goes away. It's, it's how they respond when that parent or caregiver comes back. Um, and so there could be secure, and then the others anxious, resistant, um, anxious, avoidant, insecure, or disorganized, disoriented. So there's, those are the four main ones. Um, and I don't know if we want to go into more detail about what those are, but... Might as well. There's a good combination good show there. Yeah, so I have.
3: Some or stuff. even the strange situation, like how that even came about. I don't, because it's kind of this is it maybe I'll, is it okay if I explain that? And then, Joanna, you want to describe what those definitions are? Yep, sure. Yeah, so in the strange situation, what they did was they had um, infants, like young children, and their parents in a room, and then they would ask the parent to leave briefly and they would observe the child and how they would adapt and then re enter the, the adult and notice how they greeted that adult mm-hmm. and then based on that they noticed that there were patterns of what had happened so if a parent leaves the room and the child's slightly distressed maybe tearful or looking for their parent or caregiver but then adjusts to the environment and starts playing with toys and regulates parent comes back in they run over to greet them that would be an example of one of the patterns and they notice for for children with different attachment patterns they responded in different ways to the situation so they observed what happened when the parent when the child was left alone and when the parent was reintroduced yeah Mm -hmm.
1: yeah so like you noted the secure so secure attachment would be the child would interact with others in the presence of the mother but will become upset when they leave um, and might um and then, like you said, well, that's more of the strange situation, but yes, they'll become when, they'll become upset when the parent leaves. Anxious, resistant, insecure. So the child would become anxious at the presence of strangers and will not interact with them. When the mother leaves, the child will become very upset and unreceptive to her, her, to her attempts to interact when she returns. Um, so this might demonstrate that the parent does not consistently meet the child's needs.
0: So this is a kid who says, okay, mom, you went away. You come back and I'm upset with you. So now I'm not going to, not going to attach to you. Right. I'm not going to run up to you. Right. Is this the resistant part?
1: I, I was so anxious in, when you and left. And very anxious. Yeah. And very anxious but- when the parent leaves. Cause I think a child it might be typical for a child to get upset when their caregiver leaves. I think that's pretty appropriate, but mm-hmm. if it's, if it's to the point of being more anxious or, um, may it can't really calm themselves without the parent there i don't know if that if that would be
0: okay
1: um anxious avoidant insecure so the child shows ambivalence towards the mother and towards strangers does not want to be held and shows no preference towards caregivers so this attachment style typically means the child has learned that efforts to have needs met have been ignored
0: so this is the kid who says fine you're going away fine
3: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> who needs you good riddance
3: because I, I've tried to need you and you've never been there. So mm-hmm. I need to figure out how to take care of myself. So I'm going to be ambivalent towards you. I'm going to reject help. I'm going to reject
1: connection. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'll push you away.
3: Uh,
1: mm-hmm. And then lastly would be disorganized, uh, disoriented. So though a child with this attachment issue may become Upset when the mother leaves and appear relieved when she returns. Uh, the child may refuse to be held. Um, they might hit. They might rock repeatedly or show anger towards the the caregiver. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit more of a complicated one there.
3: Mm-hmm. So these patterns are thought to have come across, like, have been based, as we mentioned, like on parental parental patterns of connection during these early months or years of a child's life. So in in my perspective it's really important or my opinion I guess because it's also going to be the development of that nervous system of what is okay and what's not okay. Mm-hmm. And without the soothing the co-regulation of a healthy adult around us then that nervous system is going to be developed differently and it be more hesitant and then the patterns of ongoing relationships which I alluded to in the other episode we talked about this a bit where it might end up more like a yo-yo So if there's been inconsistent or unpredictable nurturing coming from a parent, sometimes I pick you up and show you love when you're crying. Other times I yell at you when you're crying. Mm -hmm. Then that child starts to yo-yo or there's a pattern that's formed of like, I, I need you. I want you. I want to lean into you. I love you, but you're going to yell at me and I'm going to back off because what if you reject me? And I don't, and not knowing what to do, and that can be seen in future relationships, where it's scary to get close to someone. Definitely. There you go. Right, yeah, it's scary.
0: It's not safe. You're not sure what you're what to expect. Right. There's no, it lacks the consistency. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it impacts your trust, trust, and maybe, um, maybe ability to empathize. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Situations.
0: I once had a, a supervisor who really oversimplified it and said, you know, just think about if you can remember the first time you were dropped off at school, how did you respond to that? Like when you had to separate from your parents at that point. Um, you know, were you clingy? Were you holding on? To the, no, 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 don't go. Please, 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 please. Um, or were you like, fine, whatever. You're going to leave me here, forget you. Or it was like, oh, this is kind of sad to go, but OK, I've got to meet some new friends. It'll be a good day, right? It's just kind of a way to think about how that, how that interaction might have gone and how you might have connected to the new people that you're meeting at that time. Yeah.
1: And even furthermore, how you would have been once that parent after some time, but also when that parent comes back, I think is a mm-hmm. really important part. Because I think being apart from your parent for the first time um, with a bunch of people you don't know could be distressing, even if you do have a secure sure. attachment. Totally.
3: Do you guys remember your first days of school? No. <laughs> I sure don't. Okay, me either. I've heard the story once. I, I didn't even know. My dad told me the story like a year or so ago, but I don't remember it.
0: What, what? Do you remember what it was? What was the story?
3: The story was apparently like, I didn't realize he was there for dropping me off either. So, but it was, I'm sure it's similar to many other kids. So they went to drop me off at the, the front door of the school. And I don't, I don't know what I was wearing, but you know, just this little, however old you are, a seven-year-old with your little lunchbox and your backpack and they go to drop me off. And apparently I just stood there looking at them and started crying hmm. and they had to like walk away and say goodbye. And I was just like staring at them, confused, like, Hello. why are you leaving me? And with my little lunchbox. Aww. Yeah. So, yeah. Sad. so my dad was like, it's so heartbreaking. It's the hardest thing to do. I'm sure that was the hardest thing you've ever had to do. Yes. <laughs> Leave me at school. I was like, didn't I get you back? I went to school for my whole life.
1: No, hey. Okay. <laughs>
3: probably harder I, on the parents. Yeah. Overcompensation. I'm never leaving school now.
2: Yeah. I'm sure like nine minutes later, you're like, oh, cool, Lego. And you're <laughs> probably having a great time. Your parents are probably devastated at home.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Looking out, like, looking through the window of the classroom. Is she okay? <laughs>
0: I remember my first day of kindergarten and that was a rough time. I remember, you You know, yeah, yeah. I remember it was a, uh, I even had a friend in the class. Right. So I knew this, uh, this kid from down the street was going to be in my class and it's all cool. And I thought it was going to be scary. I had preschool before that. So I'd I'd been to some schooling before, but, uh, it all kind of felt so big, felt like this big moment. I remember like it was a big kind of, Oh, now I'm, now I'm meeting these new people. Now this is, now I'm a kindergarten. I'm a big kid in school. And uh, it felt kind of overwhelming. I I cried a bit. I went in and hung out with my friends and probably forgot about it in 10 minutes, but I remember it was really a big moment. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't recall it. So I guess I maybe blacked it out. I don't know. I'm sure I cried though. I'm pretty confident of that. Yeah. I was the kid that always got homesick.
1: I remember Chris when we spend the
2: night at a friend's house. Yeah.
1: Oh so yeah. We went to camp Camp Latona, and we went. I was because I'm younger than you. I went with mom and dad to pick you up, and you were shedding some tears there, standing <laughs> waiting yeah. for us to come oh, get you. So,
2: so imagine it happened at that early age too. Because it stopped having it at the age of 17,
0: so it was quite
2: the
3: stretch.
0: <laughs> like, forget it. I'm out of here
1: made oh, for some really interesting goodbyes there in high school yeah <laughs> when mom dab dropped you know, i was kidding but yeah
0: <laughs> question number two how has the topic of attachment shown up in your practice how do you notice it in your own practice
1: this was a an idea from brooke
0: yeah yeah okay so this would be like i work i work with adults primarily. I don't really see teens much anymore. Um, so for me, I would say that how it shows up in my practice has to do with, uh, relationships. let to do with mm-hmm. people who are, um, in, uh, coupled up relationships, partnerships, marriages, that sort of thing. And, and we see how these styles kind of come into play when it comes to communication, when it comes to sex, when it comes to, um, the the desire for alone time the the uh, just the dynamic that the I find this a lot of times sort of what we call the cat and mouse dynamic mm-hmm. you know uh, sometimes we'll have someone who has a more avoidant attachment style who's partnered up with someone who's got a more anxious kind of clingy attachment style and then we've got one person kind of running away and the other person chasing them right and that yeah. sort of pattern can uh, can mm-hmm can play out for quite some time and, and uh, it's not really satisfying for either person, either partner in the relationship, really. It's Uh,
1: good that, it's good that you note about the adults, Ryan, because, and just a little bit of info here, but the big names, if you ever, if any of the listeners uh, look up attachment would be, they'd see the names, uh, Mary Ainsworth and John Bowlby, um, because they founded Modern Attachment, but as, I think Sue Johnson, uh, I read, she began using attachment theory in adult therapy. And then there's um, Hazen and Shaver, uh, who furthered the research um, of attachment theory on adult relationships. So they noticed that interactions between adults were very similar to interactions between children and caregivers. So it seems like that's a whole other, and there's um, attachment styles for adults, which are actually different than the ones um, for children and caregivers.
0: Slightly.
2: I think uh, uh, therapeutically for myself, it really highlights the importance of exploring early attachment traumas, right? Mm -hmm. And neglect is is a huge one, which I think uh, attachment theory emphasizes. It also Brooke talked a bit about uh, um, emotional regulation. So affect regulation, focusing a bit more on that therapeutically, Mm -hmm. I think is always important, but also being very aware of the, uh, the actual therapeutic relationship you're establishing with the client, right?
1: Right?
2: So, um, you know, making sure that um, you're kind of recreating uh, through therapy, um, maybe an attachment experiences, experience that maybe makes up for a little bit of what they lost early on in their lives, right?
0: Sure, and since we're dropping names, uh, a, a great book on this, was uh, is it David Whalen? Uh, attachment and Psychotherapy? Mm. Uh, which is all about uh, how how attachment dynamics of the client and of the therapist come into play when people are doing therapy with one another and How how to kind of navigate all those all those waters, right? So it's important to actually if you're doing attachment work with clients it's, and you're a therapist, it's pretty good to know What your own attachment style is and how that might influence the work that you're doing with your clients
1: um, And to make and sure then, there's boundaries
0: yeah, make That's sure good. that there's boundaries, make sure that you are are aware of how each other attachment style might kind of connect to you and how you might uh, be influenced by that. Yeah. So, yes, Attachment and Psychotherapy is an excellent, excellent book.
2: Well, well, since, you know, you just name drop too, I might as well name drop as well. Oh. Uh, Gor- Gordon Newfeld is a, a local <laughs> psychologist here in Vancouver.
3: He still he... mine.
2: Oh, go ahead.
3: No, no go for No.
2: Um, he actually has a model like six stages to help uh, establish attachments with with children so um, if you're doing work with parents often his framework is important for coming up with practical things you can do to help establish that attachment with uh, with with your kids
3: great so I, I, I work with um, oh yep
0: I was just gonna say yeah I talked about my my work with adults what about you guys?
3: Yeah, that's what I was going into. I was going to say, uh, I also work with with teens and adults, but I work a lot with self-destructive behaviors. And so for me, for affect regulation or emotional regulation, it's important to look at attachment uh, just for more of that nervous system of what's going on there, but also the negative self-beliefs that might be playing of, am I lovable or am I unlovable? And often that kind of gets back into the dynamic early years with parents and what happened there. And if parents were emotionally present um, mm. and nurturing and consistent and predictable. Yeah,
1: yeah I just echo that. I, there's, um, it's come up because I work with some young children and there's a lot of discussions with parents just around. Um, yeah, being that it's a, such an important relationship and really working with the parent, um, especially if it's a young child, um, to help them kind of respond to the needs of their, um, their kid in whatever way possible. Um, same teens as well as, yeah. So I have some uh, um, discussion with adults and I think that came up in our previous podcast there. So I think it's just, it's a lifelong thing. It's not just a one, it impacts us continuously. So I think you can explore yeah. it. And you can look back, of course, I think it's in for teens, you still want to look back for adults, and it all starts really in that childhood um, with that caregiver relationship. Yeah. And it can yeah. be perpetuated or influenced by other things as you grow older. So it's not like a, I don't know, I don't know if you agree with that, but
2: um, yeah. Um, I just pulled up um, Newfield's Six Stages of Attachment um, to help kids guide through the first six years of life. So I'll just fly through these really quickly. Um, so proximity sameness belonging or loyalty significance love being known
1: hmm. so
2: lots of good resources online if you if someone's interested That's great. same sameness sameness so he said uh around the age of two a child adds sameness so their desire to be like us in an important is an important element in their acquisition of language it also helps the growing child and adolescent continue to feel connected to us when we emphasize interests or inclinations that we share with them.
0: Mm, I like it. Yeah. We're, we're, we're together. I mean, I, I just, I just flashed to this picture of my, my kid as a little kid, like putting on my shoes, my full big, big guy shoes, you know, like, ah, we're, we're the same. Like, I'm just like you, you know, yeah. little things
2: give, like that. Give me a year or two as we wearing that blue shirt.
0: Absolutely, the same, a sameness. I'm trying to provide a sense of sameness by wearing the same shirt on every podcast <laughs> if possible. Just trying to do a little public service here. Yeah. So, look, Here's something that I think comes up in my practice as well, Again, working with adults. And interesting thing about attachment theory, you know, it hasn't been around as long as a lot of other uh, psychological theories. And for a lot of people, it's becoming much more um, kind of part of public Discourse here, people are talking about attachment styles and things like that a bit more, even in kind of casual conversation, and it, it sort of can become one of these things where a, a little information can be can be dangerous sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when people don't have quite enough to really wrestle with some of these things. Right. So what I get from a lot of clients um, through the years has been someone saying, "Look, I, I, you know, I took a test online. I see that I have an, an anxious attachment style." Um, and it, and it looks like it's, it's just permanent that it can't be fixed. You know, what can I do about it? Right. Mm. And, uh, so maybe we could talk just for a minute about the, the, the malleability, the changeability of attachment. Um, and this, the, the whole idea of what some people talk about is earned security. And is that even possible?
2: Yeah i was going to throw in there remember we all met at the psychotherapy networker symposium um jerome kagan the famous uh very well-known researcher from harvard uh he's he's a big expert in temperament and during his keynote he said you know i'm happy that attachment theory is dead and dan siegel jumped out of his seat and said i I don't want you to mislead people or i want to share the other side of this argument it's kind of created this big debate right or Mnuchin, a a famous family therapist, said that sometimes it's if we focus too much on attachment, we underestimate the impact of other key aspects of development, right? Mm -hmm. And experiences in people's lives, right? So it brings up an interesting point, Um, Ryan, is that if you don't have the best attachment, um, what does that mean, right?
0: Are you doomed? Right. Uh, That's what my clients are wondering. Like, oh, no, I have this. Does this mean that I'm going to be forever uh you know feeling insecure in my relationships or is there something i yeah. can do about it
2: i think there's lots of opportunities for corrective experiences and of course with the science of neuroplasticity we can uh develop new pathways within with the brain we all have that ability to, to do so mm-hmm. um so we talked about even some of those therapeutic interventions where you can maybe assess some of those early attachment. I think a lot of it is awareness of those early patterns and how it's impacting your ability to connect now. And in that space, you know, trying to make those corrections.
1: And noting that you don't need that original caregiver that you might have had that anxious avoidant attachment with in order to, yeah, um, build that awareness or to make some changes for yourself. Um Because that could be disheartening if that was the belief, right? Or people don't necessarily have that opportunity to um, kind of better that relationship. So you're able to still do so otherwise or use other, create other forms of um, attachments with other people in your lives, important people. Mm -hmm. That was very wordy i feel and i hope i got my point across i feel like my brain is really not firing in all cylinders today so it's like beep boop, boop boop anyways
2: can you summarize that again please no. using interpretive yes. dance, interpretive
0: dance.
1: And the viewer can't see us yes. hugging yeah. oh man
0: oh we're on youtube now everyone can see us
1: true
0: <laughs> let's get the interpretive dance going yeah. um I I agree with the term that you just used there, Chris. Corrective emotional experience, because I think that is really key to this. I think, I think a lot of what we find from from a variety of different psychological theories is that, you know, our our childhood does impact us, whether it's about our our irrational beliefs, whether it's about uh, trauma, whether it's about uh, our attachments, whatever it might be. But I do believe that if we can be sort of intentional about finding things that are uh, are different, are, are a different experience and a better experience for us, and we could really allow ourselves to trust that, then we can have uh, some growth and some change and, and really learn to kind of ease into that. So, and one of the best ways, I believe, is through psychotherapy. Um, you know, if a, cl- if a client comes to me and they had a lot of neglect and a- or maybe some abuse in their childhood, and they come to therapy, they're oftentimes treating me as if, I'm just going to be another person who neglects them and abuses them or rejects them somehow. But if we can build a trusting bonding relationship that is secure and they know, okay, uh, you know, Ryan's not going to hurt me. He's not going to leave me. Uh, he has my best interests in mind. He really cares. Then that now, now they have a new template. Now they have a new, something new to base their relationships on uh, or some of their relationships on and know, okay, at least there are some more secure relationships out there that i can uh, rely on and trust
3: so that's that's, yeah uh, no i i just i agree with what you said absolutely i think that the therapy room while we do a lot um you know sometimes we use skills and sometimes we have catharsis and all the rest of it but like if skills were enough then every nobody would need therapy they would just go and buy some books and learn the skills
1: totally. there's
3: something beyond that and that's the relationship and so we we need that and a recorrective experience in a healthy relationship um, is invaluable like it's just a remarkable thing also healthy communities healthy schools I mean there's all of these other microcosms as people grow up and develop like in trying to place yourself in in situations that are healthier mm-hmm Right, we know if a youth has like one positive adult mentor in their life, that makes a, a world of a difference. So if we, as adults, can also take responsibility and ownership of our own behaviors and continue working on ourselves, so that we can then provide healthy relationships to the next generation coming up, just in case they don't have it at home.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's an excellent point, and it doesn't mean that it has to be years of, of that corrective or corrective experience like sometimes you know that that one teacher or that one youth worker or just a, a, a conversation or two can can have a drastic impact on a child who doesn't have the best attachment with their caregivers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay
3: so people are not doomed there is hope there is hope for the future
0: good to hear glad to hear it i'll, I'll pass that along brooke <laughs> we talked about a lot of different authors. We talked about a lot of different, are there any other resources just in the last minute here that, uh, that people can think of uh, they might want to share? I know of one, which is uh, just called, it's, it's an assessment actually. It's called the adult, adult attachment uh, oh, interview. That's a good one. Which uh, is something that is, is given to kind of assess where you are as far as your attachment style goes. And that's, it's actually something you, I think believe you can look up online adult adult attachment in interview, but probably best to go through that with a therapist if you uh if you're interested.
1: Yeah, I think for um parents, even young children, even reading up on Dan Siegel, Chris, you mentioned him a bit, but he's really good at attending to the needs of your child and understanding from a developmental level. Um yeah, sorry, yeah, like um neurodevelop, what am I trying to say? Like uh
0: hmm. The neuroscience around
1: it, he just, it's, there's a lot of education
3: <laughs> around I like, can't
1: read your mind, Joanna. No, I know. I know. <laughs> Dan Siegel. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And then okay. Gordon Newfeld was mentioned. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Bulby. Bulby, Ainsworth. Ainsworth, yeah. Big dogs. Well,
0: this is great. I feel very much more attached as a result of this. I feel more grounded. I feel like I have a better connection with the three of you. I don't oh, know. That's nice. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> and We feel nothing towards you, right? Okay, so <laughs> well, let's, you. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard here today, please mm-hmm. like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, or now YouTube. Uh, send your questions to info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram and tell three friends about their mental health boot camp podcast can you do it are you up for the challenge three people
3: three people
0: we need to get to every province so that uh, the election's fair and uh we will say good night for tonight bye guys
1: good night everyone hey, bye bye, bye. you <laughs>